Good morning. It's an awesome privilege to be with you today in chapel and to seek the Lord and the beauty of his holiness in this place where so much grace has been imparted. And I rejoice to be with you. On April the 16th of 2021, in this very place, I was part of a commissioning service, and I still feel that. There were heavy hands in that commissioning service, and the reason why I feel it is I was the one who was being commissioned as the president of the Francis Asbury Society. A Harvard lawyer, Dr. Hodder, who is the commissioner for the United States of America in the Salvation Army. He resides in Washington, D.C., and weekly, more like daily, he interacts with those at the highest levels of American government to reach out in compassion to the American people, and then secondly, to uh, instruct them in their souls for righteousness and the love of God. He came and he spoke. He was one of those who, who brought a message to lay a hand upon me. And I want to invite you into that service that I experienced right here. And I'm going to uh, share with you Dr. Hodder's commission to me. And so I'm going to ask right now if you would cue that up and we can all benefit from the words he imparted. Good evening. I'm pleased and delighted to be a part of this presentation this evening. The national headquarters of the Salvation Army is located just outside of Washington, D.C. And for me, as a lover of history, there are therefore many opportunities to tour the historical sites and museums that abound in our nation's capital and in Northern Virginia. On one of my recent peripatetic forays into history, I came upon the equestrian statue of Francis Asbury situated in a small park on 16th Street Northwest, about two miles north of the White House. I later learned that this particular statue was dedicated on October the 15th, 1924, by President Calvin Coolidge, and that its design is intended to evoke what the author referred to as the gritty perseverance of the ministry that was long and hard for Francis Asbury as he crisscrossed the American frontier. In fact, there is an inscription on the pedestal of that statue which explicitly refers to Francis Asbury as the prophet of the long road. In his dedicatory address, President Coolidge said this of Francis Asbury. He came to bring the gospel to the people, to bear witness to the truth, and to follow it wheresoever it might lead. Wherever men dwelt, whatever their condition, no matter how remote, no matter how destitute they might be, to him they were souls to be saved. Well, I cannot imagine a better way of explaining why we at the Salvation Army feel such a close affinity to the Francis Asbury Society. 
in our commitment to preach salvation, to teach the doctrine of holiness, to refuse any vision of the world that does not provide for its complete transformation in Jesus Christ, and in our willingness to do whatever it is that God intends for us, the society and the Salvation Army are united. We are truly brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, although I know you are a good Methodist, Dr. Smith, I cannot help but observe this evening that you would look great in uniform. <laughs> At the conclusion of his address on that day in 1924, President Coolidge referred to Francis Asbury as a builder of the nation. High praise indeed, signifying the president's understanding of the fact that when an individual accepts the gospel, the moral foundations upon which our nation was established are strengthened. But all of us here tonight recognize that as gratifying as that praise might be, the praise that we truly seek is the loving look of our Savior, who counts us as faithful servants, not in the building of a nation, but in the building of his kingdom. As I stood there that day in front of that statue, another thought crossed my mind, a reminder, really, of why Francis Asbury had been so successful in his work. Oh, yes. He had a thorough understanding of the scriptural foundations for holiness. But it was not theological prowess that was the key to his impact on the rough-hewn people to whom he preached. And it wasn't even that he preached to millions of them. Francis Asbury spoke to small groups of people who wanted to know what it was to be like Christ. And then it was the testimony of one man or one woman telling another person that spread the good news. Tonight we gather here in this chapel, cognizant of the fact that educational achievements have brought the nation far. And there is no doubt about the fact that the people of the world today are not identical to those of colonial America. But I want to submit to you this, that in many ways, people today are as much on the frontier as they were in Asbury's time. Isolated, lonely, searching, yearning. So Dr. Smith, with Francis Asbury as an example, I urge you, make holiness accessible. Notice that I don't say, make it attractive. The beauty of holiness will speak for itself. But help all of us in this room here tonight to convey the truth and the power of holiness in simple, direct terms. Because if we can do that, those who hear the message and who experience holiness, they will be unable to stop themselves from sharing it with others. As I turned away from that statue, 
I could not help but recall an old Salvation Army chorus penned by our sixth general, Albert Orsborn, who wrote, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all his wonderful passion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Dr. Smith, I pledge to you tonight the prayerful support of every Salvationist in this country. May the Lord use you mightily as you undertake these new responsibilities. God bless you. So when I considered it was a, such a gracious invitation to come and realized to say something about the life of Asbury, and I had 20 minutes to do it. I thought, what will I say? And then the Holy Spirit helped me. And I just want to say, yeah, all of that. <laughs> there are heavy hands around the world on us, the people who bear Asbury's name. To make holiness accessible to all people and don't worry about competing to try to make it look better than the next because is there anything more than the natural beauty of the Lord in his holiness? There's none like him. But we feel a heavy hand today. And that heavy hand is that people have a heart cry. There are people in a nation who desperately need to know him because they can't identify even all by, by themselves what their heart cry is. They don't know where it rests, but there is a resting place. I thought today, rather than to try to get to all of the what's and wherefores of Francis Asbury, and there are a lot of them, some of those are steeped in what I call hagiography rather than factual history. For instance, John Wigger said that he rode 100,000 miles by horseback and preached 10,000 sermons, but Christian history from the Christianity Today Consortium said he rode 300,000 miles and preached more than 25,000 sermons. And so uh, I'm reminded of a former professor I had here at Asbury by the name of Dr. Tom Carruth. He realized that when people tried to put the rousements on in their preaching, they really went after it. And they could often use too much hyperbole, whether by accident or on purpose, and they could over-exaggerate their points. So he felt obligated to say to his class, I'm not preaching now, I'm telling the truth. <laughs> I suppose there's a little bit of, we've got to tell the truth about Francis Asbury, I suppose Wigger probably is closer to the truth than the article coming out from the Christianity Today Consortium, but I don't think that's intentional. There are just a lot of distorted facts out there, but there are some things I can say today before we take Holy Communion. And here's some of the things I want to say. I'm so glad that the, the prayer vigil was right before I had to preach today. 
Thanks be to God. I don't think there's been another uh, chapel preacher all year who had that kind of prayer before I get up and have a chance to share some humble thoughts. Secondly, I'm very thankful to Jessica and Emily for making it easy to come and to stand in chapel. That's a very winsome way. Dr. Tennant, you have a great front gate to the chapel here at uh, Asbury Theological Seminary, and I'm grateful. But as grateful as I am for the moment, there are still heavy hands that lay a claim on me right from Estes Chapel. For it was here in 1978, my call to ministry was confirmed. It was here in 1982, I made a vow before God and my bride of uh, nearly 40 years that we were no longer going to be two, but we were going to be one that the world might be able to see in and through our lives sacramentally that God was willing to be one with us. And those of us who are believers are the very bride of Christ in the world as a witness to that. And so how could I possibly surpass those moments? And then I don't remember what year it was, but I received a gracious invitation from Dr. Maxie Dunham to come and be the holiness uh, speaker during Holiness Emphasis Week. And so we did an, ex did an exegesis of the book of Hebrews together. And it was a precious time. And then, of course, April 16th, 2021, to a guy that thought I'd been happily retired for two months, I accepted the invitation of the board of directors of the Francis Asbury Society, known to us as FAS, to come back a third time into the president's office. For what reason? Because the mandate from God through the presence of his third person in our lives to make holiness accessible to all people is not a vocational call. It's avocational. It's a participational call for anyone who walks in the high calling of Christ Jesus our Lord. And so it was time to be sure that Darina and I joined forces again. So I want to talk to you before we take Holy Communion this morning about what's been given for you in order that you might be called an Asbarian, given for you. There are five characteristics from the life of Francis Asbury. Don't worry, I can see the clock right there and I'm not going over time. <laughs> five characteristics from Asbury's life that he wanted to sow into the life of everyone who is willing to be a believer of Jesus Christ and participate in allowing their lives to make holiness accessible to his world. And here are those five distinguishing characteristics. I hope you will hear my admonition today and allow these humble words to be heavy hands upon you. A reality check 
that God is with us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Number one, when Asbury came in 1771 on this very date, he came so that his life could be an incarnational witness of the Wesleyan message he believed. He responded to an altar invitation that John Wesley gave saying there's a cry coming from America and who will go? Is there anyone here from this meeting that would be willing to volunteer and go? And Francis Asbury was one of four volunteers. So he had a call. But his call needed to be rooted in an exemplary life commitment so that he could preach in such a way that his life would be the embodiment of his message. And I understand he was a preacher who frequently rambled. How'd you like to have that in your biography? Yeah. Brother Ron in the Francis Asbury Society, he frequently rambled. It's a distinguished company. But here's what they said. In the midst of the rambling, there was such a fervency in Bishop Asbury that it was contagious and he invited everybody to catch what he himself had here and now and in this moment. And he believed God could and would do it. And so his first biographer said, it was an amazing reality. It was as if God had come and told the people, this is what's required for judgment day. Enter in to what he's preaching. Wouldn't it be great today if we could leave chapel saying, God's preparing us all for judgment day. And we have a chance to enter in. Ministry in the Asbury sense is sacramentally incarnational. And our lives are meant to be the sacramental means of grace. That in us and through us, the holiness of God might not only be known, but others can participate by grace through faith. He felt like this was best accomplished intentionally. That's the second I. Incarnational, but intentionally. And do you know what his intentionality was? To make sure that every Methodist who professed that they had faith in Christ would be willing to go through a process of God spiritually perfecting them in classes, bands, or societies. And Asbury purged the membership of the Methodist roles because there were those, even in his day, numbering around 600, that just didn't participate that way. So he wasn't popular. He said, no, this is the way. Walk ye in it. We need to be accountable through small groups. We need to be learning in classes. And we need to be a part of a society that not only professes, but proclaims Christ to others so exponentially the kingdom could grow. Intentional. Will you use your ordained orders to be that intentional? It's what it means to be Asbarian.
the way he accomplished this, though, so his message wasn't white noise on a frontier and it wouldn't be blocked out and dismissed, is Asbury had an uncanny commitment to identify, identify deeply with the people. Identification with the people was his methodology. Calvin Coolidge said, Francis Asbury knew face-to-face, -face, relationally, more people in the American Republic than any other American that has lived. Not through media, but through a face-to-face, -face interpersonal relationship. He landed in Philadelphia, which was the largest city, although it was like a town then, in the Northeast. 28,000 people inhabited Philadelphia when he landed. He went to number two on the list, which was New York City, 20,000 people. He said he preferred Baltimore, 5,000 people, and placed in near proximity to the rurals. And this was his addendum, where the people are. And so whether it was a hundred some thousand or even up to the escalated number of 300,000, Asbury identified with the people. And he identified in this way, I've got to be insistent that you meet to improve on the means of grace as they come to you. And so his life was a standing invitation. Asbury, like Wesley, struggled with inferiority. How could this magnificent treasure be entrusted into the hands of earthen vessels. But he had memorized the conversion hymn of Charles Wesley. And I'm going to walk behind the sacramental table as I give that invitation. Outcasts among all, to you I call, harlots and publicans and thieves. He spreads his arms to embrace you all. No need of him the righteous hat. He came the lost to seek and save. Come, O ye guilty people, come, groaning beneath your load of sin. His bleeding heart will make you room. His open side will take you in. He calls you now, invites you home. Come, all ye guilty people, come. The last eye is invitation. Francis Asbury determined to make his life a standing invitation for all people to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. For when you come, you hear the words of Scripture, that there stands in your behalf one who is given for you. This is the tradition in which we stand. These are the heavy hands that seek to lay claim to define us. And this is the source of the faithfulness of the one who called, who also do it, given for you. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.